Why are you doing that, Mark? Ow! <laughs> It's Mystery Maniacs. Mystery Maniacs is a comedy recap podcast. I had to stop myself from doing that in a Bella Lugosi voice. <laughs> Dedicated to Mystery TV. Each week, we dig into an episode of the show, including the murders, the mayhem, the loonies, and everything else we love. This week, Murdoch Mysteries, episode nine from season one, Belly Speaker. Belly Speaker. Belly. Ah, 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 we were just ah. talking about Bella Lugosi before we got recording. So. I am... The children of the night named Mark. I'm Sarah. <laughs> well, oh, we, we've had weeks. We've had <laughs> weeks where we've had pandemics. We've had weeks where we've got sick. We've had weeks where we've been crazy end of the semester stuff. But this week, I think, may trump the case. Mm. Not only did I get the comic book that I've been working Two years to get printed. Yeah, it finally came in the mail. Finally came in the mail. Part of our house looks like a comic book shop right now. (laughs) It's a warehouse. There's a table that's bending (laughs) from the weight right now. And more on that later. If you're interested in my comic book, I will be posting and probably doing a reel about that for you guys later on. It doesn't need to interrupt or take over the show or anything like that. but But on Monday, Mark called me while I was at work and said... What are you doing tomorrow at around 1030? Because my new friend wants to talk to us. I'm like, well, I got to teach class in the morning. But once that's over, I'm fairly open until lunchtime. And he said, good, because Annette Badland wants to talk to us tomorrow at 1030. I'm like, what, what, what? Annette Badland of Midsummer and Ted Lasso fame was interviewed by us over Zoom this week from my house it still has not sunk in. She was so awesome, guys. She was, she was super fun. Super fantastical. So we are going to air that as a podcast and also as a video on YouTube on May the 8th that will come out. Now, I got to tell you, I got to tell, listen, folks. There's cl- some Midsummer goodies in there. There's some Lasso goodies in there. But get, mostly it's Annette Badland wisdom, and she has so much of it. Get close to your podcasting device here. Am I right in your ears? This lady is impressed that we're raising money for target ovarian cancer. Mm-hmm. So we need to sell a bit more merch. <laughs> <laughs> It's a good cause. We're happy to support it. It's a fantastic cause, and we do sell merch, but uh, I would like to have a little more money to give to these people. Remember, we're not getting anything out of this, and in fact, we're doubling what you give us. Yeah. So we spend 45 minutes talking to my new best friend, Annette, (laughs) and talked about all sorts of things. Sarah's right midsummer, and we talked Ted Lasso, and we talked her career, And we talked about where her giving and charitable philanthropic... We talked about her hanging from ropes. Philanthropic. Travel. I mean, you name it. All kinds of fun stuff. She's genuinely a really interesting, generous, awesome person. Cannot, Cannot be described by anything other than lovely. Yes. She was fantastic. So you will see her on video and audio on YouTube, and then you will see... It'll come out as a podcast It'll episode, too. It'll come out as a podcast episode, too. Just 
fantastico. So that was a a weird start to the week. And then that same night, I know it's really boring to hear about people's dreams, but I had this really weird dream that's been following me all week. This is why we've been talking like Bella Lugosi. (laughs) (laughs) So I had a dream. I was standing in a crowd of people who were all wearing T-shirts with big printed text on them that contained some combination of the words, Quiet, quiet the, the night, night pigs. pigs. <laughs> so some people had quiet the night pigs. Some people had pigs the, the night quiet. Some people had the pigs night quiet or pigs quiet the night. It's been following me all week. So of course we immediately <laughs> took to calling all of the night, the night pig because <laughs> she snores at the foot of our bed every night. <laughs> she is the night piglet. She is the night piglet. <laughs> So then we were joking about Bella Lugosi saying, quiet the night, pigs. <laughs> you know. Never mind the fact that on top of all of this is the single solitary most stressful two-week period for my sports watching, <laughs> which drives Sarah insane because I am I'm an abused Toronto Maple Leafs fan. They haven't won a playoff series since 2004, and they haven't won the Cup in my lifetime, so I'm rather tense at this period of time. So what do they do? The first game of the playoffs, they completely oh. blow it and oh. lose by four points. And the second game, I they win. I watched 19 minutes of that. Yeah, and then turned it off pouting. and Said, yep. we can watch something else. I'm not pouting. I'm not watching I'm them. I'm not pouting. <laughs> they have to do something different for me to watch them. <laughs> <laughs> so all of that happened this week. It was... Crazy time. But we get to end it with recording this episode about yes, belly speakers, about which belly is speakers. awesome. Originally aired in March 16th, 2008, Farad Mann, the guy who uh, directed the first episode, mm. directed this episode. And you can kind of tell it has a definite early Murdoch feel to it. Yeah. But I think the characters are further along in their development. The here. writing is really yeah. good. Larry Lalonde and Philip Bedard. Wrote it. Which sounds more like hockey players' names. <laughs> Any Quebecois sounding name yep. sounds like a hockey name. Yep. Why do you like this episode so much? Give me two reasons why it's one of your favorites. I like this episode because it has an open ending. Okay. And it is unfortunate that they haven't brought this character back. Okay. So that's I, one reason. I do like that. I also like that everybody is unsettled by this puppet <laughs> and it it's always fun when adults are unsettled by unsettling things it is truly un, uncanny the word mm-hmm. yeah like bracken reed puts the hat over it so he doesn't yep. have to look at its so face he doesn't have to look at its face <laughs> and it, it it is that situation where you have something that is so lifelike and pretends to be lifelike and then isn't lifelike it's Uncanny Valley, right? Yeah, it's it's Uncanny Valley. And so there's a story about this. I forget which famous person was. But some famous person had the Muppets on their show. And one of the Muppets was laying on the table. And they were they were upset. That was they had to Jack go- Black, wasn't it? Yeah, I think it was Jack Black. They had to go and say... Oh, no, it was Bobcat Goldthwait. Bo- yes, yes. Yeah. It was Bobcat Gold- Goldthwait. Elmo was just laying on a table. Just laying on a table. And he was like, go put your hand in him. Yeah. It's wrong that it's just laying there like a piece of fabric. Yeah. It's like it's dead. 
And especially the Muppets, I don't think I, I would expect the Muppets to move if I ever met them. Like I would expect them to be moving because they are so integral to my entire childhood and adult life. I think that's the difference. If you saw a Muppet puppet, you would want it to move. But when you see a dummy like Mycroft in this episode, you really hope that it doesn't. So, so now the dummy that you, that bothers you in the credits that is in the chair that turns mm-hmm. around. Did you notice it's in Murdoch's office in this episode? No, I didn't. Yeah, it is. It's in the background. Of it's one of kind of like an artist dummy, like one that you pose to do figure sketching. It has that abstract face. It's to- mostly that it has a gun that bothers yes. me <laughs> in the credits. Oh my God. <laughs> <laughs> if Mycroft had, had a gun, he'd be much scarier. <laughs> so there's a movie in 1978 called Magic with Anthony Hopkins. It's really an incredibly good movie. Uh, it has incredible good people in it like Anne Margaret and and Burgess Meredith it's fantastic but it's a scary killer puppet movie (laughs) (laughs) and the the puppet wields weapons in that movie it's not alive though in that movie it's not like Chucky somebody's moving it yeah okay it's because uh the puppeteer is actually killing people okay Insane. That's the, that's the difference. He right? uses well, sort of. <laughs> the personality that is the puppet has taken over his yeah. personality. But unlike Chucky, who's autonomous, mm-hmm. right? But he's not autonomous. There's a long line of scary puppets. People are bothered by it, right? R.L. Stein has that puppet oh, yeah. in the Goosebumps books that keeps coming back, and he looks almost just like this one. Well, similar R- face. Yeah, R- the same with Stephen King. R.L. Stein just goes, hmm. Stephen King makes that really scary and gross. Yeah. I'll tone it back. And okay. Write, and write it for kids. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we get started right away with somebody being dead, right? No, no, Roderick? no, no. Before that, we get Brown Brothers on that really horrible first shot of the episode. Did you see that? Oh, it's another one of these, let's take an old picture. Oh, yeah. And put people in little... It's just those this, those bother me, so I don't talk about them. Anymore. Okay, this one is particularly <laughs> horrible. Brown Brothers is the the sort of um, featured thing, the in storefront the in the photo. Yes, and I, I'm gonna I'm not gonna spoil anything, but Brown Brothers is one of the buildings that's destroyed in the fire in 1904. Oh well, you spoiled that for us. <laughs> That happened in reality, right? That happened in <laughs> okay. reality. Way to ruin reality, Mark. But there's a Murdoch connection at that point. Uh-huh. <laughs> you gave it away. Yeah. <laughs> okay, then we get the body. Grimsby is the dead body, and he is found by this drunk, this other drunken guy. Stanley Polk. Polk. Hey, you've been messing around with my wife. Who's quite the catch, old Emmy. We will get to Emmy because she is, I think she may be one of the best parts of the episode. He shoulders the door open and finds Grimsby dead. And (laughs) Crabtree says he's a part-time dock worker, full-time drunk. (laughs) Yep. This is another fantastic Johnny Harris episode. Yeah. Crabtree's great Crabtree in this episode. Is, but so is Brackenreed. They're both really fun. Crabtree and Brackenreed carry this episode when they need to. When they need to, yeah. And it's clear that Grimsby has died of some kind of poisoning or something because, well, there's a puddle of vomit. <laughs> what do you think they make that vomit out of? 
If I had to guess about this particular vomit, Mark, I would say it's cream of chicken soup. Uh, it's certainly yellowish and creamy. And it's got to be something edible because it's in the actor's mouth. Yeah. Poor Duncan McLeod, who plays Roderick Grimsby. Who does a good job, he, man. He's not just a corpse able yeah. to be still. He gets manhandled, rolled over, yep. throttled. Uh, he, he has an autopsy. Yep. <laughs> he has to have the vomit on his face and in his mouth. and bleh, For a character who only walks into a room and then gets varnish poured down his throat, yeah. he does a phenomenal <laughs> amount of acting. He does. <laughs> He really does. Yeah, I'm going to go with cream of chicken soup. What do you think it is? I, it might be custard. It's pretty creamy custard. It's got lumps in it, though. Oh. <laughs> That's why I was so, going with cream of chicken. So let's think about this. It could be cream of mushroom. So you come in as an actor. You have to get your makeup done, <laughs> mm-hmm, right? Because he's he, all blue and, and gray. And he knows he's the dead body, yeah, right? He's got to have the bruises put on his neck. So then stuff. he has to lay down. Yeah. And then... An intern. I'm assuming it's an intern. Oh, no, this is important work. That's true. The puddle of vomit has to be just right. This is a professional job, Mark. (laughs) I am the vomiteer. Yes. (laughs) Executive vomiteer. (laughs) Vomit artist. (laughs) Vomitarst. Yes. (laughs) The puke practitioner. Vomite. (laughs) That's fancy now. It's like sommelier, but for vomit. Yeah. They've got it prepared in some kind of container. They've asked they him about down, allergies and all that stuff. And they so got to talk to him while he's doing it because you want to make him comfortable as yeah. possible. Yeah. And then you're putting it on the carpet. That The other thing is they must have to deal with in Murdoch that, okay, these are walls that we made and furniture that we made. So you can do all sorts of crap with them. But this is an actual antique here. It's a nice rug. It's big. It's beautiful. So it has to be something that doesn't damage that rug because I bet you that rug is an actual <laughs> Or it can't. Oh Yeah, it can't stain. It can't hurt his skin. It has to be edible, non-toxic, non-allergenic. It's a puzzle, man. If he was a vegetarian, then it's yep. got to be like cream and mushroom. But if yep. he's not, I'm going cream and chicken. <laughs> You're saying custard, but there's lumpy bits. Now, I've made custard that winds up with lumpy bits in it. They're not supposed to be in there. That's when you have to strain the custard. That's not a euphemism for anything. Now, the heterochromia comes up later on, but if you notice, they're pushing the visuals right away. Oh, yeah, his eyes are open, and you see that they're two different colors. One's brownish, and one's bluish gray. It's great corpse acting because Murdoch comes in, rolls him halfway over, puts his hand on his throat, yep. everything. And just he's just fantastic bit of corpse there acting. with the vomit rolling around in it. <laughs> and then, you know, the weirdness switch gets flipped. Oh, the voice comes. Because you hear, He's still here. He's still here. And immediately, I am creeped out. Everybody turns and looks at the wardrobe. Yep. Like, you open it. No, you open it. You open it. I'm not open it. Crabtree kind of steps, takes a step back at first. And yep. Julia's like, I'm behind you, Murdoch. <laughs> Protect me, Murdoch. What would you do? Uh, I, well, okay. So. You're in, you're in our house. You're in our bedroom. We have three closets in our bedroom. Yes. Okay. All with sliding doors. And you hear that voice clearly coming from one of them. I'm telling you to get out of the house and I'll investigate. Are you just going to start opening doors? Yeah. (laughs) 
You wouldn't get out too? No. I mean, they're police. It's their job to open the door. I want to find out what it is before I call the police. Okay. And you just find a dummy sitting in the closet. (laughs) Goodbye. Mark shaped hole. That could happen in our house. That could happen in our house. Have you noticed that, okay, in our library, we have a a full-size representation uh, of Slimer from Ghostbusters. Yes. Have you noticed that he's kind of leaning on the telescope? kind of looking for Lauren lately. Yeah. He's shifted a little bit, didn't he? <laughs> He's like, oh, I'm tired. <laughs> Poor guy. He just sits in the front room all the time. And that is our life. <laughs> yes. I'm looking at four boxes with skeletons in them yep. right now. Okay. That's just how we are. So it's perfectly possible that you would open the closet door and there'd but be a dummy sitting there. But now I'm trying to figure out what weapon I would get. <laughs> That's what we don't have is a bunch of weapons sitting no, around. Rolling pin. No, I'd, I'd probably get a knife or a rolling pin from the kitchen. I'd go for rolling pin because it's less likely to get turned on you yeah. and used against you. Yeah, I could see that. Knife. Yeah. If you wrestle over it, you're going to get hurt. Yeah. And I got mm-hmm. one of those rolling pins that has the little rings on it so you can roll cookie dough at the right depth. Yep. So it's got extra. You're going to leave a weird mark Wham. on somebody if you Wham-o. have. That dent is exactly one quarter of an inch deep. Plus, if I open up the door, I got to be honest, I open up the door and there's a doll there and it's saying that shit still, I'm beating it to death. (laughs) You're grabbing its head with one hand and its body with the other hand and pulling, right? I'm just beating it. Why are you doing that, Mark? Ow! Oh, if it knows my name, it's dying. (laughs) You pull it in half and then you hear, he's still here. (laughs) There's another dummy in the next closet. Ah, what are you doing? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's just sitting in the wardrobe, and then he basically confesses to the murder. That is there to lead you back to the wardrobe later on. Right. Harcourt is a ventriloquist by profession. I guess he's trying to be a professional ventriloquist, which means also comedian. Yeah. Do you know the history of ventriloquism? So there's there's a... There's a turn in this history, right? There's everything that happens before... Vaudeville. Vaudeville and, and then after. everything after. And really, before vaudeville can be summed up with the word demons. <laughs> <laughs> Not demons so much, as, but it's belly talker, right? Yep. That's why they call it belly speaker the episode, because ventriloquist really means belly talker. Yes. But in, in Greece, in ancient Greece, they called it gastromancy, Yeah, which sounds like reading entrails, right? It does, or the sound that my stomach makes when I have (laughs) stomach cramps. It was uh, related to necromancy. Oh. But gastromancy, and they believed that it was the voices of the dead that were trapped in your stomach and made their way out through your mouth. Okay, okay. I so if you wanted to question. talk to the dead, you would talk to a ventriloquist and they might be able to like channel somebody well, or, that, the, or the quote unliving, which yeah. means some other spirit. The idea of a medium taking being taken over by a spirit isn't new. The idea of it being in your stomach is a little... Specifically in your stomach? Yeah, that's a little weird. Like, how does it get there? I don't know. Like, do you how? have to eat the person? Is it cannibalism thing? I don't know. I mean, 
if you were actually a cannibal, like if you were from a culture where cannibalism was a thing and that's how you had it. I mean, after a while, you'd have a whole chorus of people yelling yeah. out of your mouth, right? Ah, every time you open your mouth, help me. Ah, I'm sitting there. And I'm like, stuck. It kind of. A heartburn would have a whole different meaning well, for yeah, you. Like, and stop like, anchor truth. It, it kind of makes it, you guilty right away. Yeah, I kind of give you away. No, that was me. I said that. Well, it was in a funny voice, Bob. It sounded like Aunt Evelyn, who's missing. No, it's not. <laughs> you know, I couldn't believe when I was reading through the history, and you're in your right, vaudeville, and you know, people had you know the dummies and Charlie Parker and all that stuff. I couldn't believe how many ventriloquists there were on early radio. Yeah, which that's makes a weird thing. no sense to me whatsoever. Like. For example, let me throw my voice. Yeah, it would be like me and you saying that we're ventriloquists. (laughs) If I talk on a funny voice, it's not me. Like, I'm not moving my mouth, I promise. (laughs) I wonder if they actually brought a dummy into the studio when they did that, or if they just talked in a different voice. (laughs) Wow. I would ask Candace Bergen that if I met her. Why? Because her father is Victor Bergen and uh, Charlie McCarthy. Oh, that's she right. She was raised in a house with that wooden puppet. Okay, you say Charlie McCarthy. Is it that? Is it McCarthy? Because I think of McCarthy and the communist trials and all that. Is it McCarthy? Yeah, it's Victor Bergen and Charlie McCarthy. Okay. I'll, I said Charlie I'll, Parker earlier, didn't I'll I? double check. We did screw up the name in a couple of ways. It's Egder Bergen. Okay. Who is Candace Bergen's father. Yeah. And it, Charlie McCarthy and Mortimer Snurd are his. Mortimer Snurd are his two. That's just a fun name two. to say. Well, he, and he's that buck tooth. Yeah. Uh, the howdy doody looking one. The howdy doody look. There's another dummy for you. Yes. Another puppet for you. I can understand why, like vaudeville acts that did puppets were funny, and then when the, when radio became popular, they would want to move. But it's one of those examples of that doesn't translate to this medium. No, and <laughs> you know you understand why it's so popular in vaudeville and variety well, yeah, shows because you're there to see it. Yeah, you know, and there's no special effects yet, so you get to see it in person. But on the radio, I mean, come on, that's a leap of faith. Isn't yeah, that? <laughs> it could just be a completely different person talking, and you're pretending it's your dummy. <laughs> Bracken Reed says that Harcourt's as mad as a box of frogs. Box of frogs. Which is, I love that yeah. saying. Do you know uh, where it comes from? No. I love looking up the origins of phrases like that yep. to see if their like original uses are close to what we think they mean now. Yep. And this one does, but it comes from this book from 1868 called Crotchet Castle oh. by Thomas Love Peacock. That's quite the name. And it's a series of books by Peacock. And they're almost satirical allegories. Okay. Like the characters have names like Charles Chainmail and Little Miss What's-It and stuff like that. Like, it's, they're bizarre. But a character says, that man's as mad as a box of frogs. It's That's gr- the first time it's in print anyway. I'm absolutely convinced that the uh, Mike Mignola, who created Hellboy, the whole first series of that book is based on evil frogs <laughs> they are gross they are if you've gr- seen the movie you've seen super gross evil frogs this episode is is also another one that highlights the lack of one-way mirrors in 1890s <laughs> yes. 
Over and over again, Did people you notice, are just standing outside of that window. I don't you, even know if it's a glass window or if it's just like a grate. It's just a grate. And did you notice it was open? So they can completely hear what's yeah, being said like outside. it's like open about an inch. There's, so, there's absolutely no privacy. I noticed it was open this time. So when Doyle's standing out there and having a conversation with Murdoch, Harcourt can hear every word they're saying while well, he's eating his not cream of chicken soup, it's yeah. cream of celery. Yes. You know, you know what gag also works in the 1890s? The don't interrupt me gag. Oh, you promised you wouldn't interrupt yeah. me, Doyle. You're yeah. interrupting me. Yeah. You know where the best place in Toronto to flirt is? Mm. The morgue? The morgue. Yeah. <laughs> Why is there always the sexy talk in the morgue? Because that's the only time they see each other I, alone. I guess. When they're not, well, they are standing over a body, but they're not at a scene. Boy, do they get genetics completely wrong. <laughs> they do it. They try their best, but like for Murdoch to have read Mendel meant he would have had to read it in the original Austrian early German and early German yeah. Mendel was not popular or anything at this point in time the word gene wasn't even coined to to 1909 so she wouldn't have said genetics it's just that is for a modern audience right there but I love the idea of Murdoch sitting on the beach reading, reading Gregor Mendel's treatise and I love how she's like summer reading oh summer reading <laughs> he's like yeah that is what I read light summer reading I remember when we first learned about Gregor Mendel in school and we had to do Punnett squares yep. uh, for genetics and we had to read about his pea plant experiments and if, it was in high school. So, of course, every time the teacher said something about pea plant, people were like, mm -hmm. you, yeah. said pea, you said pea plant, pea, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. like, really? So he kind of <laughs> produced his paper and told some people and then just- oh, Wasn't he a monk? Uh, he was a monk in the way that he took that vocation because it was kind of chosen for him. He didn't come from very rich people, and he wanted to go to college. And so he, he failed was a Jesuit, at, right? Yeah, Augustine. Ah, uh. he failed at being a science teacher. He wanted to become a science teacher, and he kind of failed at that. But being a monk let him so, do science. So they basically let him run the garden. And while he was in the garden, he's a scientifically minded person he starts to do experiments he's like let me so, crossbreed these pea plants so people are like <laughs> i have problems with his statistics well okay he was like making stuff up as he went along trying to figure it out his, give him a break his ideas were so incredibly important it's okay that his statistics were not the best yeah like give him a break too and he never got credit, he never got a Nobel Prize or anything like that. And he became abbot later on and then died peacefully. He's super sort of non... In a world where you were about to get the rock star science... He didn't get Curry, notoriety. Curry, yeah. uh, Madame Curry and Einstein. Yeah, during his lifetime, like he didn't have notoriety. Yeah. You know who's not a peaceful monk type? No. Doyle. Oh, Because he hugs aggressively... And then throws his cane at everybody. Why yes. does he do that? So surprise Arthur Conan Doyle in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, so Thursdays I get the pictures for this episode to prepare the reminder social media posts. And I'm like, are there Doyle's in this, one? in this episode? <laughs> I forgot Doyle was in this episode. Yeah. 
he just shows up and starts throwing that knob carry at everybody. Yeah. There's so many times when I'm like, stop doing that. You're going to hit somebody in the face. It's got a great big silver knob on the top. It's got to be heavy. Brackenreed catches it. Yeah. <laughs> da, da, da. He's going to do some tap. We'll box later, okay? Yep. Yeah. We're old boys. Yeah. But he's only concerned about the death of an old Chinese guy. Mm, and the show tries not to be racist here. <laughs> it does. It tries not to be, but boy. It's and then he's like... All over Julia, and I'm like, oh, and Murdoch's like, oh, there are no French restaurants in Toronto. (laughs) What's French? There's no French food. French don't eat food. You can't possibly go to eat with Julia. I want my stomach contents. (laughs) Doyle kisses her hand, and she's got a vial of vomit in her other hand. Like, I wouldn't be kissing Julia's hands for a million bucks. She she doesn't even have running water in a sink. She washes her hand in a bowl. Nope. Nope. In the morgue. Like, oh. where's the soap, Julia? Where's the clean water, Julia? That water was already pink she, when you put your hands she in, She washes Julia. in the lung water from last episode. <laughs> lung water is great for moisturizing your hands. Oh, If your hands are a little bit chapped, dip them in vomit. It's great. So I have a question. <laughs> I, have, I have two. I have a question here. Okay. Was this puppet called Mycroft before they wrote this before they put Arthur Conan Doyle in this episode. Mycroft was not that unusual a name. Yeah, he goes, it's a name I'm familiar with. It sort of stops being used in the early 1910s. Yeah. Um, unless you're a Sherlock Holmes fan, and then, you know, like you named your kid Buffy because you like Buffy the Vampire Slayer So or Mycroft whatever. is Sherlock Holmes' brother. Yes, but the name Mycroft was not, that unusual so it's completely uh, possible okay but did the writers change the doll's name and the brother's name to be yeah. mycroft when they added doyle to the episode maybe he's a minor character and like uh hound of the baskervilles mycroft is my always my favorite part i i love mycroft the mycroft homes in uh the jeremy brett sherlock holmes is fantastic mm-hmm. Mycroft in Sherlock is played by Mark Gaddis. Mm-hmm. When he showed up, I was like, oh, yeah, it's on. I think naming the dummy Mycroft and the brother Mycroft in this episode really just makes it a little bit confusing. Oh, Because you do? Doyle's in it. Oh. I, if they changed it to Mycroft because of that character being in it, I think they didn't need to. Because the character had already been named. Like, also, Mycroft appears in the books and the yes, stories really oh yeah. early. And also, I don't know why a dock worker and a house cleaner would have named their kids Mycroft and Harcourt. Yes. Like, wouldn't they have been James and William? I keep on thinking, Harcourt, front and mud. What? He's a character on Star Trek. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Harcourt and Mycroft. They are weird names for kids of traditional people. Not traditional. Full-time drunkards. Full-time drunkards. Don't name their kids Harcourt. Yes. Speaking of Fred Russell, his name gets dropped in here like nothing. Well, Doyle says that he has seen Fred Russell perform. So Fred Russell is a pretty interesting cat. He starts as a journalist and then basically does ventriloquism on the side and completely revolutionizes ventriloquism because he came up with the notion of the straight man and the and the puppet that told the jokes. That's amazing. And I would say... So before then, 
the puppet was the serious one? No, <laughs> they they just had conversations. Oh, like okay. The whole idea of it being comedic is from him. In addition, he wore top hat and tails. Oh, yeah. And I would say that... That's iconic. That Charlie McCarthy, the, the Edgar Bergen puppet who is in top hat and tails, is probably a nod to him. Yeah. So he basically works as a journalist, and then after a, he does a couple of shows, this... Guy in London goes, uh, you can do this for a night, a week at my theater because everybody loves it. And it built shows around him and built variety shows around him. So much so that he became, he set up the Variety Performers Union in England. Ah, so so he's he, a big deal. He's an organizer, incredibly well-loved by both the public and other performers. It's because, nice to hear of people who are famous and also just good people. Uh, he got an OBE in 1948. Charlie Chaplin spoke at his 90th birthday party. Oh. Nothing but glowing terms. Said that he wouldn't have had a career without him. Does his puppet have an accent that comes from a place that he didn't come from? No, because that's kind of stupid. Because Mycroft is from the Bronx, I think. Yes, I think Mycroft is from the Bronx. Yeah, that accent is like... Can you imagine two kids running around doing that voice? Oh. Every little kid does strange voices. What are you doing, Inspector Crab Pete? <laughs> Crab Pete? Crab and Pete. Uh, the puppet's annoying. Oh, little kids that do weird voices for their animals? Yeah. Murdoch has his teddy bear named Bear. <laughs> God, that is the epitome of boring, isn't it? Yes, I am boring. You're right. That... That part is so fantastically Murdoch. It's supposed to be touching. Like, I understand identifying with, you know, and they, having an imaginary and friend. And the first part is so touching. You're like, oh. Because what did you name? Bear. Bear. Oh, Murdoch. Oh, Murdoch. Who's the walrus? And then Mrs. Polk shows up and just flashes her boobs. Okay. So, first of all, Mrs. Polk is a combination of the world's horniest camera person and Mrs. Polk. Is she the most sexually blatant character in all of Murdoch? I don't know. She's uh, There are some characters who are supposed to be prostitutes that are a little bit more overt or can-can girls who are yep. more overt. But as far as hobby sex, yes, yes she is. <laughs> First of all, she is... In no way. There's no filter here. No. The first thing she says is, of course he didn't give me a key because I would have went in his house and drank all his booze. And whoever did her makeup used an entire bottle of tooth stain on her. Her teeth are so bad. If you notice, her teeth are stained and so are... Harcourt's teeth. Harcourt's teeth. Yeah, it's a class thing. Yeah. Do you know how they put that on? No. So if you, uh, they call it like tooth varnish or tooth paint. So you have to completely dry the tooth and then you brush it on like nail polish. Oh. Right? So you have to like take a paper towel or a Q-tip and dry the tooth until it's like, and then you brush it on. And then you got to kind of pull your lips back and let it dry while they do the next one. So you got to like have your lips laid back, which is why you always see it on people's top teeth, but not on their bottom teeth because it's just... Like, you can't just, like, fold your bottom lip down for, like, an hour and let it dry. But what I learned looking into this today, I knew about it, but I was looking to see where the technology had moved to. If you put it on a crown, uh, it'll stain it. Oh. (laughs) So 
if don't try it if you don't have your real teeth because oh. it comes right off real teeth yeah. with, with a Q-tip with some alcohol on it. Yeah. But if you put it on a crown or a porcelain veneer or something, yeah, it just soaks in and it'll be that color. Speaking of alcohol, Mrs. Polk certainly enjoys her alcohol and her sexy sex. She like takes her shawl down like, look at my cleavage. And Murdoch's like, oh, that's uncomfortable. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> and then she says, Probably the best line in the episode. I was just there to knock boots with Roddy Boy, Mr. Murdoch. I figure if the lovin's top drawer and the man wants to bring puppets into it, I'm not complaining, am I? <laughs> uh, you know, puppets is a line for me. <laughs> yeah, we all have our limits. No matter how good the lovin' is, puppets are right out. Yeah. And I don't know why Roddy would have had the puppet anyway. It's Harcourt's puppet and Harcourt didn't live there. He was concerned about the puppet. <laughs> I guess. He wants to cry and talk about the puppet every time he gets drunk. I don't know. But the loving was good, so. I Okay, so here's how I interpret it. Remember, this is a spoiler podcast. We're about to tell you who the killer is and what happened and what you know the end is and give it all away. Yep. I don't think he was talking about the puppet at all. I think he was talking about his son. I do as well. He's crying about Mycroft, his son. Yep. Not a puppet. Who is but in- the only Mycroft she knows is the puppet, so... Yeah. She thinks he's crying about that. I completely agree. We need to have a climactic boxing match. Well, before we get there, just so you know, uh, if you you hear Mrs. Polk talk about knocking boots. Yes. She's talking about making love, having sex. Yep. And it's a pretty common since maybe the late 90s to be used in songs about hooking up with people. But the uh, rappers of the 90s. The reference goes. The term. Supposedly, it goes way back. Um, I found it in Castle's Dictionary of Slang, where it says that it originates in the Wild West. Yes. Where cowboys would put their boots under the bed when they got into bed. And if things were active, the boots would knock into each other. Yep. I'm personally not buying that explanation because I don't think cowboy boots make any noise when they knock into each other. They're just leather. The other thing I heard was that you wear the boots during the activity and you're knocking your boots together. Okay. And I was like, ooh. Hey, ooh. <laughs> Wearing your cowboy boots in bed. Because um, remember, as mentioned before with Murdoch, there was <laughs> horseshit everywhere. Everywhere. But my favorite thing about looking into this was I saw, a, um, it was like a discussion where somebody posted, you know, what's the origin of that? And somebody answered, that, well, somebody explained what it meant and then talked about the origin and the next comment was, great, this explanation has ruined this song for me. I thought Knocking Boots was a reference to line dancing. <laughs> it's not line dancing. You are. Unless it's a horizontal line. <laughs> incorrect. <laughs> yeah, so Doyle and Brackenreed are boxing in the bar. Yeah. And nobody's breaking it up because they're classy. Yeah. Right? They're classy guys. They both got vests on. He doesn't know how to turn the screws. Sleeves folded up. Yep. Why are they doing this? Um, I think... Uh, I don't know. I don't. They're pugilists. They're just having fun. I guess, I guess they're having fun and they're trying to prove how manly they are. I think the actors were having a really good time. In Sherlock Holmes, he fights, but everyone at the beginning of any Sherlock Holmes fight thinks he's a dandy. Mm, they don't think he's going to be a very good fighter. And then he kicks their butt. But he's studied. Yes. Yeah. Maybe that has part of it. Well, and if you went to a fancy private school, you would learn boxing, the pugilistic arts. But that's not Brackenreed. He didn't go to a fancy no. private school. No. He would have learned how to box from the streets. 
Yeah. So I don't know which of them would have actually won. I don't know. They're well matched though. They're having a good time. Well, one thing you should know, Mark, is that shellac affects the muscular system and varnish just causes gastric bleeding. Yes. Duh. Duh. Who doesn't know that? Who doesn't know that? <sighs> so Does clearly- Does wear his tux all the time? I don't think he ever gets to change clothes. No, he once they Once they find him in the wardrobe, that's it. He's under arrest. He yeah. never goes home. He never goes home. We'll call him Harcourt because that's what we're going to call him for now. Yeah. Um, but they, they make this big deal out of, well- the dummy is so important that he only used the finest shellac. How often would you have to shellac that dummy? It's not like you have to do it every day. Yeah. And the other thing about the dummy that weirds me out is the the portal at the top of its head. <laughs> so you have to know the mechanics of a dummy, right? Yeah. There's cables in there. Yes. So there's a jaw mechanism that's a trigger. So you pull a trigger on a stick and that shortens a cable. It pulls the cable down, and that makes the jaw go uh, up and down, right? Yeah. You turn that handle left and right, and that turns the whole head. But then you would have two little loops that are attached to wires that are on two of your fingers, okay? And one of them opens and closes the eyelid mechanism, and the other one moves the eyes left and uh, right. okay. Okay? So... Those are finicky things. I know I I've built them. They're yeah. finicky. And so you've got to have a way to access that eye mechanism, which is why he has a screw top head, because you have to take that part of his head that off to access the back of his eyes yeah. and make sure that those cables are attached firmly. Because okay. the last thing you want is for a cable to snap and then the eyes just go floop and they don't move anymore and they look yeah. really weird. Then it looks undead. But it... It is an entire, uh, like you're gripping the rod with the palm of your hand and like a couple of your fingers. You've got your tri uh, finger on the trigger. You've got two loops on two fingers and you're turning your hand back and forth. It's when he says his hand has got nerve damage and goes numb, I can believe it because it would be, di it's difficult to do. Well, and there is a person listed as the puppeteer in this episode who I'm assuming is actually doing the puppetry whenever you can't see the... The actor holding it. The actor it. holding it. Yeah, him. like when he's being interrogated, the puppeteer could be kneeling behind him and yeah. you wouldn't see him. He'd be next to him and sort out of Sort of like those people in the hallway that we can't see through the screen. <laughs> no, we can see them perfectly and oh. hear them. Oh, okay. Well, there's Doyle's a subplot. Doyle's a violent drunk, by the way. He is, and there's a subplot here. I know he's sad about his wife, but so the he has to take it out on an entire bar. The subplot, it, I, I didn't like the... Here's a big black guy who's going to beat you up. I felt that was a little too on the nose. I don't think his intention is to come beat Doyle up. I think his intention is to come restrain him. That's why he doesn't punch him back. I think so. But he gets... But Murdoch has special powers. If he grabs your collar, you're incapable of fighting back. No, no. You stop <laughs> fighting right away. And you leave your jacket and your hat behind and Just... your cane, which are probably incredibly valuable, and maybe contain your wallet and your papers. Probably. Oops. I'm out of here. But he tells Murdoch what's going on about Tui. Yeah. Tui has consumption, which is tuberculosis. And he's... He's come all the way to Toronto to find a cure for it. Which is cupping. Yes. Okay. Which is what happened to Mr. Lee, the man who died. So now, like, if you saw somebody who has been cupped, you would immediately know that what what was going on you even if you didn't know what that was you would you would know they hadn't been beaten with a round-headed stick that's for sure because it's like if you do um acupuncture they're 
applied in a very specific order in a yeah. specific arrangement. It's not random. And so the bruises would be like in a grid, basically. Yes. <laughs> and if you can beat somebody with a stick and leave a grid, yeah, I- I'm impressed. Well, I, I would go so far as to say that some famous people have been sort of outed as cuppers because of these patterns. No, because of the marks that it leaves. Because it does leave a mark, right? It creates suction because they're heated so that the air contracts and draws the skin up. So it leaves like a hickey, right? Uh, or as Julia says, a love bite. Okay. So let's do cupping and then do love bites. Okay. <laughs> okay. So I'm going to read you a, a headline from the Toronto Star from the year 2017, mm-hmm. which says, when this person wants a cuppa, it's apparently not tea he wants. Oh, wow. It was a bad day in the head right, headline writing department. Can you guess who this Canadian, famous Canadian is? Trudeau. Yes. Justin Trudeau is clearly shown the in the Prime Minister of Canada with cups on his arm. Like he has cupping marks on his arm. Okay. So he, does he admit that's what it's from? Yep. Okay. Because some people believe in it as a treatment. Yep. He, he. I don't know why, but. It's, it is beyond me, but. Uh, Apparently, the prime minister is into it. Okay. That's kind of weird. Alternative so, medicine. Yes. So, yes, Julia calls them love bites or hickeys. Which is what we would call a hickey. Yes. I don't know what they call them elsewhere in the world. Um, most people still call them hickeys and, mm. or love bites. It is a very strange thing. It's because, a hematoma. Yes. Right? The, yep. the tiny blood vessels yep. right under the skin break from the suction of somebody's mouth? Yes, on different parts of the body. Mm-hmm. What it what took me back? There's a couple Do of I want to hear this? Yep. Okay. <laughs> There's a couple of things that took me back about this. Okay. Took me ah back about this. Okay. Not, not took me back. Took me back to the old no, days no, no, when no. I used to have took love bites all over me. Mostly the biggest thing I found was for an activity that is usually sexually oriented the internet has an almost desert of information about this. Okay. It is like, as we know. There's plenty of period content on the internet. If you're into something on the internet, there's going to be a whole bunch of other people who like it too. And nobody needs to send us a link to the secret hickey site that Mark didn't find. (laughs) Please. But none of that came up right away. Oh, do you have which, your safe search on? Which, no. Okay. Which was weird. There was a lot of fixing hickeys. Oh, yeah. Teenagers are notorious yeah. for accidentally getting a hickey and then being desperate to get rid of it. Desperate to get rid of it. YouTube is full of something that leads me to the second point, which is these weird, bizarre hickey pranks that people play on their partners and get them really angry and film it. That's horrible. Yeah, that's... No, that's not okay. And I'm going to associate that with, and you know, I don't want to hear this. This is misogyny. It's marking. Mm-hmm. And it is usually men doing it to women. All the pictures, if you put in hickey neck pictures on Google, all the pictures are women. It is a form of marking, marking claiming, and ownership and yeah, claiming. And embarrassment. And embarrassment. They cannot be disguised. No, you can't hide it. Yeah. It, Depending on where it is, you and, can't hide it. And so I don't like that 
kind of aspect of it as well. So there, there's the weird. It's not really talked about. Okay, so I'll lighten this up a little bit. One of my friends in high school was going out with this boy, and she got a hickey on her neck, and she was mortified. So she was determined to get rid of it. And this is before the internet, mostly because her parents were really not going to be happy no. and makeup was not going to cover it up. And she had short hair too. So that wouldn't it's even not help. Happen. Somebody told her if you put toothpaste on a toothbrush and you massage it, that it would like, Oh, there are a million. It would distribute that yeah. the, the blood under the skin and it would go away faster. It just made it worse. But the bro. diatoms in the, it's like sand, basically really fine sand in the toothpaste just abraded her neck. <laughs> so it, so not only did she have a big hickey, but she also had a big scab oh. on her neck. And it, ju- I mean, it just got worse and worse. Wow. <laughs> She had no excuse for that either. Like, stop. Just leave it alone. Yes. Get a scarf. Shut up. Stop. <laughs> Everything she did made it worse and bigger and worse. Wow. And then I am led to what I found is maybe the most disturbing page on the internet. Okay. There is... A WikiHow article mm-hmm. on how to give a hickey. Oh, no. With illustration. No, no, no. Thank goodness they didn't hire models to do these pictures. So the doll calls, uh, says <laughs> Inspector Crabbenpeed, and that's I, funny. I told you you would be. Crabbenpeed is funny, out Mark. about that. Isn't that funny? I'll put a link to the weirdest page on the internet i asked chat gpt to give me other punny ways to make fun of the name bracken reed and yes. it was not very good <laughs> it was like stack and lead we're not going to be replaced by chat gpt anytime not soon. when it comes to making fun of things no really? no it's very bad at making funny things it can't write jokes right up the apple cart <laughs> <laughs> who does Julia have special connections in the records office? Who gave her all of the G birth records for three years in Toronto and let her just carry them out? And yep. in a day where there were no computers, there wasn't really even car- carbon paper widely nope. used. So these are original. They're the sole version of these documents. Yeah. And she just carries them out. Just gets them. <laughs> and couldn't she have easily gone through them and just pulled those two out? She knows the last name. Yeah, she could have easily done it. She doesn't need the whole stack. Yeah. Did you look at those birth certificates? No. They look I, like library, old library cards. They do look like, like old. The, used I to looked be the back the of the one, book. I looked at the one that they had. It was it was recorded them. on 9-11. Yes. I noticed that. Yeah. But otherwise, yeah. Father's occupation, doc work. And then the thing that happens in every single episode of a television show that has a ventriloquist with a dummy, we must go and not talk to the ventriloquist. We must go and talk to the dummy. Yes. Because the dummy is his alter ego. I've been speaking to the wrong wit. Harcourt has a twin, Mycroft. Now, this breaks a major rule. Okay, twins is a bad You cannot bad use twins yeah. as a plot point yeah. unless we already know there are twins. Yeah. Right? If they're introduced as identical twins, that's fine. But you can't have a secret twin. Yes. It breaks a rule. Bad, Murdoch. Bad. Yep. It breaks a rule. It ends up that the twin is stuck in the cupboard, and we learned in the theater episode that bodies don't decay, putrefy, or smell. No. In Toronto. 
So because you can't be drunk enough to miss that. No, I don't care how bad of a drinker Roddy was. He would have noticed for what fifteen years there was a body. Yeah, in there. So yeah, it's been a while. And then we get the the to me the best part of the episode where you are confirmed that he is completely faking. He throws away the dummy and walks off. I do like the moment when they realize they haven't had Harcourt in custody yeah. at all. It's been Mycroft the, the whole, whole time. time. And they realize that after they've released him. Yep. Right? So they say, oh, your brother did it. Yes, he did it. I don't know where he is. Yeah. They let him go. And then they realize that it was him the whole time. <laughs> but uh, again, <sighs> suspension of disbelief. I know. If they're identical twins, their heterochromia yeah. would be identical too. Genetics is not really understood. <laughs> I know, I know. I also don't trust photography of the time to know that it's not a reverse negative. Yes, I did think about that as well. So I guess they would have to match it to the dad's eyes and say, well, his are left and right and these are left and right. So they're the same. Uh, then Murdoch sees a ghost. Yeah, let's <laughs> talk about Murdoch and the ghost. Okay? Okay, so... In a mirror. <laughs> this is always an important thing for the me. The ghost is in a mirror. I'm just pointing that out. So his little eyes are flip-flopped. I know. Okay? So who knows who he is? Who knows who he is? Anyway. This is always an important point for me. I think it's because I was raised on the X-Files. Mm-hmm. Right? So I'm always looking for that point where you're like, oh, you've crossed a line. Yeah. And it's this supernatural is, now. And this is important to me, even in my own, like, in my comic is about a, a bunch of teenage girls who use science to disprove ghosts. Yes. But then one shows up. Right. And it is a clear line of delineation. Yeah. Like, there is before this page happens and after this page happens. Well, it might not be a ghost. It might be an angel, Mark. It could be an angel. It could be... <laughs> Um, he may be having a religious vision. I don't like that Murdoch sees the ghost here. I really don't. I, <laughs> the I, glowing little boy in the flat cap the who's finally of, been avenged yeah, and gets to go off in peace. He earned his wings. It just makes me think that Harcourt, the real Harcourt, yes. the dead Harcourt, should have been haunting this apartment the whole time. He should have been. <laughs> well, we don't know what he saw. That's true. <laughs> Knocking boots. That's why he's a troubled ghost. But could you? Okay, go ahead. Could you kiss somebody in a room where that puppet was? Yeah. Okay. If it's sitting on a shelf. Okay. Yeah, I don't care. Okay. It wouldn't bother me. You wouldn't put a helmet over. <laughs> no. Now, if I was trying to go to sleep and some sliver of light was coming through the curtains and striking only its eyes, <laughs> I might adjust the curtains and or it turn was, its head around. And it was saying. He's still here. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting poltergeist in the, in the dummy. Yeah, it's a little They're poltergeist. Here. I really don't like the ghost part at the end. I can tell you, though, why Mycroft, the character, doesn't come back. You said it's open-ended, so yeah. you would have loved to have seen him come back in another episode. Yeah. I can tell you why, definitively, why? he does not come back. Because he burns the dummy. So he's cursed now. That's true. So he's probably dead. He, he might as well have, <laughs> have broken a Ouija board on top of it. Too. Exactly. He is totally cursed. You know, if you break them, they bleed. Yeah. <laughs> and so he will be forever haunted by a ghost dummy that you can't be killed. <laughs> Going, 
yeah, what'd you do, Crab and Page? <laughs> so he's either in an asylum or he's dead. <laughs> That's why he never comes back as a character. Wow. <laughs> he's done. And that is... And a dummy that has his name. Yes. So what are you going to do? You're going to argue with it? Yeah. Mycroft, shut up. Mycroft, shut up. Yeah. Like, <laughs> no, <laughs> he's locked up somewhere. So this is our first non-happy ending, too. In a show that kind of forces happy endings. Well, the Doyle ending is happy. He's going to go home yep. and hang out with Tui. And he does. Yeah. So. And that's a good that's a good ending. So we don't get a satisfying tie-up of the case, but we do get that. Yeah, Crab and Pete. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even need to talk about Best Corpse. No, nope, because there's only one, and he is awesome. Well, no, there's two, but one is skeletal. But that doesn't count. It doesn't it's count. a good prop, yeah. but it still doesn't top Roddy and his vomit being rolled around on the floor and strangled. No, nope. I have one question for after the credits. Other than that Mycroft is going to be cursed? Yes. What? Do the Polks stay together, or is she looking for a new man to knock boots with? <laughs> I think uh, Emmy and Stanley stay together. Okay. They've been together this long. Why would they split up they now? They probably have children and stuff like that. Crazy, too. Yeah, but are they his? Maybe. Dun, dun, dun. dun, dun, dun. There's another mystery. In this, this whole part has... The air of poverty and Whitechapelness that I think the books have. Yeah. Certainly the movies have. Yeah. Emmy uh, is a happy poor person. Yes. A happy drunk poor person. We're not supposed to think about the fact that she lives in poverty. And I think it is liberating that she enjoys sex for sex. Okay. No, like as a character at that time. Okay. So. I support that idea, but not Emmy. <laughs> Because <laughs> she's a little over the top. Now, the German woman in the couple in the earlier episode, yeah, where he liked to watch her have sex with other people. I support her and her openness and what she wants to do with her life. But they're rich. They're rich, and she's not like walking around with her boobs hanging out. No, Emmy's a little over the top. She is. Emmy's a little over the top. She needs a bath. Yeah. A toothbrush <laughs> some and tooth, some buttons. Some, some of that whitening toothpaste <laughs> and some buttons. And some buttons. Don't put it on a hickey. Put it on your teeth. Yeah. It'll work. So that is Belly Speaker. Yes. What's episode 10? Episode number 10 is Child's Play. Now, this is a pretty serious episode. Comes out May 1st for us. It's about home children. Mm, about the homeschools. No, it's the, about the children sent from England to live in the New World. Ah, okay. They are called home children. So. Okay, because they're sent away. Yeah. So they're called home. I guess. That's opposite. I'm day. sure we'll find out all It's of a bad it. scene. It's a bad scene. But it's a good episode. It is a good episode. And we'll find things to poke fun at, I'm I sure. I think we will. Now on May 8th, we will be releasing our interview with Annette Badland. She's so awesome. She's fantastic. I fangirled Quite a bit, I have to admit. Uh, I'm sorry. I also fangirled quite a bit. I didn't I, go ee, but I, I was, it was close. I may have went squee. Uh, we're not going to have a newsletter in May, but I may post a thing to the list about the Annette Badlands interview. And then. And now we have maybe false confidence to maybe try to land an interview with somebody else who's important. So we'll be going so. after other people. I think we're going to go after some other people. Because now we can say, Annette Badland talked to us. Yes. She's more famous than you are. Yes. That'll get him. Yes. <laughs> That's not a way to do it. But and, That's why you do it and I don't. <laughs> and 
<laughs> then we will return on the 22nd of May because we're going to take a week off. Yeah. Because I will be in Canada. Yeah. So. It's hard to podcast at a distance. We yes. could do it, but it wouldn't be as good. Yes. Oh, until then, try to uh, keep your cream of chicken in your mouth. Yes. <laughs> Give that lady some buttons. <laughs> Glue, hooks, duct tape, whatever. Something. Yeah. Cover your boobies, Emma. Emmy. <laughs> Mrs. Polk and your boots. Okay, it's not mentioned at all. And I really <laughs> noticed it. No, no, I really okay. noticed it in this episode. Uh-huh. How, and it's it's mentioned later, but Julia calls him William and calls everybody else Mr. Ooh. Like that part of their familiarity is already set in stone so much we don't even notice well, he it. He is daydreaming about kissing her. Well, in the morgue, because all the flirting takes place in the morgue. Because that's who they are. <laughs> Quiet. The night pigs. <laughs> the night pigs. <laughs> all right, until next time. Bye, maniacs. Bye, maniacs. The dummies are getting to me. Get out of my head, dummies!